Well, Happy New Year. It's nice to be together again to start this new year together, and we'll see what God has for us in this, in this coming year. In preparation for this message this morning, I came across this interesting statistic. What is the single most talked about subject in the Bible? Now, I didn't do the counting, so I'm going to trust somebody else. There are 2,350 verses in the Bible about money, which is about twice as many as there are verses on faith and prayer combined. It appears that God is very concerned about our relationship with money. And so today's message, when you care enough to give the very best, is part one of two messages about giving that we're going to start off our new year with. We're doing it in general because, as I mentioned, God has a lot to say to us about our giving habits, and it's not something that we often speak about. We're doing it specifically now because of our current situation as a church family. As many of you know, at our annual meeting on October 1st, the elders proposed and the church family approved a deficit budget in which we anticipate that our expenses will be greater than our expected income. We want to be good stewards of all that God has entrusted to us, including the financial resources God has provided for us at this time. And we obviously cannot live with a deficit budget year after year, so we are committed to spending time this year seeking God's will for our church going forward. We want first to be praying together as a church family to see what God would do. And so thank you if you have been praying along with us. If you've not been praying, I invite you to do so. And to help with that, we've been putting out a prayer request in the bulletin for our church every week, uh, every week or so, so that we can be praying together. The elders will be meeting with Donna Sedell, our church treasurer, at our meeting on January 23rd to review our first quarter, September, October, no, October, November, and December. We will assess our current status. We will continue the difficult discussions about what may be required to reduce expenses. And so please mark the date, January 23rd at 7 p.m. We certainly would ask you to be praying for us for the wisdom that we will need in that. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at a key Old Testament passage that gives us a foundational understanding of God's heart about the giving of his people. Next week, we'll spend some time looking at some New Testament passages. So please turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament. So if you know where Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, it's right before Matthew. So Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. He wrote about 400 years before Jesus came. And Malachi wrote to God's people who had become careless in their obedience to God's laws that he had given them in order that they might live in right relationship with him. In today's passage, God addresses with his people the issue of their financial giving. So I'm going to read Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 11. I invite you to follow along with me because I'd really like you not to take my word for anything that I have to say here. I'd like you to take God's word for it. So you need to check out and make sure I'm not cheating on you in any way. 
Malachi 3, 6 to 11. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. We're going to look at what was going on with them in 400 BC with the goal of seeing how it applies to our current situation now in AD 2024. And I'm actually excited to share this with you today from this passage because this has been a great help and guide in my own life over many years as I've reflected on uh, my attitude and my practices regarding giving and it has, has structured laurels in my approach to a lot of this. Um, so I think this, I'm just looking forward to doing that. We're going to look at three things. God's instruction about their giving, God's assessment of their giving, and God's challenge regarding their giving. And along the way, we're going to see the truth that's stated in this passage, that giving is a matter of the heart, not a matter of money. Giving is a matter of the heart, not a matter of money. So before we dive in, let's ask God to show us where we may need to grow and or change in our habits in this area of giving. So let's just pause for a moment of prayer. Our Father, you have said in your word that it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. We truly desire to be faithful stewards of all that you've entrusted to us in our personal lives and in our life as a church. We ask that you be very present as our teacher this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit and according to the truth of your word. Open our hearts to hear your voice speaking to us this morning. And may we leave this service changed in some way as we grow in the knowledge of you and what you are asking of us, particularly in this area of giving. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's start with God's instructions about their giving. Look with me at the end of uh, verse 8 there in Malachi 3. This refers to the specific issue of God's concern. He says, tithes and contributions, or tithes and offerings. A brief review of Israel's history will help us understand better what God's concern is rooted in. The people of God, the nation of Israel, were descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's other name was Israel, so that's where we get the nation of Israel. Jacob had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes or the 12 families of Israel. I'm not going to put all of their names up there, but each of the families were given land on which to live and grow food, except for Jacob's third son, Levi. God directed the people in the wilderness to build a tent and then later a temple 
where his presence would be. That's where he himself would be present among them. And God set Levi's family aside to serve the temple. First, by being the priests who would offer the sacrifices for the sins of the people, and also to provide for the maintenance and security of the, the tent and then eventually the building. God instructed the other 11 families of the people of Israel to give a tithe of all of their produce as food for the Levites so that the Levites would be free to do their service at the temple without also having to manage their own farms. I still remember with a little humor uh, young, as a young believer trying to figure this out. I was aware that they were to tithe. I was also aware that somehow that meant they were to give 10% of their income, uh, but I couldn't figure out the connection between tithing and 10% until I finally uh, took the time to look up the meaning of the word. It turns out to be a very simple answer. If you look up the word tithe, it means a tenth, 10%. So they were to give 10% of their animals and crops for the support of the Levites and priests. And I think this is just, can I say that God was brilliant? I don't know if I can say that, because we all know that, right? But this is such a simple thing to do. So if you have 10 sheep, how many sheep would be a tithe? One sheep. If you have 100 sheep, how many would be a tithe? 10 sheep. And if you had 1,000 sheep, how many would be a tithe? 100 sheep. I mean, it's very, the math is very simple. And this related to everything, whether it was the wheat, the barley, the figs, the olives, the grapes. They were to give 10% of whatever produce that they had uh, gain for that period of time. And they were to give off the top. That is, they were to give to God first before any other expenses. They were to give God the best rather than their leftovers. Then they could use the remaining 90% for themselves. In addition, the people were to give offerings, that is contributions, above and beyond the tithe, above and beyond the 10%, for at least two reasons. One was towards special projects or needs. The other was just out of gratitude for God's abundant provision for them. There was at least one occasion where the people were asked to stop giving. Can you imagine that? They were asked to stop giving because they had willingly and joyfully provided more than enough for the project. And you can read about that in Exodus 36. Also, the tithes and offerings did not just go to the Levites, but they were also used to provide for the poor and needy in the nation. So if you have been around churches for any length of time, you will have heard about the collection of tithes and offerings to support the work of God. This passage is one place that provides the foundation for that well-established practices. Some churches do it by passing around a plate or a basket of some kind, as we once did. Some churches do it by having boxes to put your offerings in, like we are doing now. But every church has some mechanism of collecting the tithes and offerings, and it's based on this passage. So that's God's instruction to them about their tithes and offerings, what it was and what it was for. Obviously, that's a very brief overview but I think that gives us the idea. But let's look now at God's assessment of their giving. 
Let's look at verse 8 and 9. God says this, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. God says they are stealing from him. They are robbing him by not giving their tithes and offerings as he had instructed. Well, it's important to note that their lack of tithing was not directly injuring God. God did not need their offerings for himself. Everything belongs to him anyway. It was the Levites and priests who were not getting what they needed. But God says that by not giving the tithe to the Levites, they were, in fact, stealing from him. Well, we get some clues from Malachi as to what they were doing. Look at verse 10. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. This suggests that they were giving something, but not the full amount. Perhaps they were giving 5%, 7%, but they were not giving the full tithe. They were not giving 10%. They may have been giving something, but you cannot say, or they cannot say they were tithing if they were giving anything less than 10%. So God says, bring the full tithe. But turn over with me also to Malachi chapter 1, the beginning of the book, just over in the another page, and look what God says here in verses 6 to 9. There's another problem that they had. Not only were they not bringing the whole tithe, there's something else that was going on. See if you can pick it out. Chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? What they were giving to God, they were not giving the best of what they had. They were giving him the leftovers. They were giving him things that they did not want or need. So why was this going on? we get some insight into the why they were neglecting what God had instructed. Well, there are two reasons given in this passage. Now, the first clue we get is in verse 11. God says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. Verse 11 tells us that they were in some hard times. There were some difficult challenges. Crops were not producing. Pests were destroying the fruit and the grain. It looks like then the people were afraid or worried. They barely had enough for themselves. They certainly did not believe they had enough to give to the Levites and the temple, as God had said. And that makes logical sense, right? If I don't have enough for myself, how can God expect me to give anything extra to him? 
But secondly, God says there is a deeper, more important reason that they were not giving what he had commanded them. And we see that back in verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. God says there is a deeper, more important reason that they were not giving what he had commanded. This is the root of their problem. Their hearts had turned from God. They had turned aside from obeying God because they had turned aside from loving God. They were not faithful with their giving because they were not faithful to God. They had essentially told God that there were things in their life that were more important to them than trusting and obeying him. And here is where we see the principle that this passage is teaching us. Giving is a matter of the heart, not a matter of of money. Giving is not a financial issue, but a spiritual issue. Giving is not a matter of money, but a matter of the heart. Jesus says the same thing 400 years later, as recorded in Matthew 6, 21. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If material security is your treasure, then your heart will be focused on material security. If God is your treasure, then your heart will be focused on knowing, loving, and worshiping God. And it's one or the other. Jesus says a few verses later in verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is where I got the title for these two messages, borrowed from Hallmark's motto. You know Hallmark cards? This motto was developed in 1944. Still going. I, I looked it up. The motto, their motto is when you care enough to send the very best. But as I was reflecting on this passage and what it was teaching us, I thought it was a very important principle here when you care enough to give the very best. God is saying here that what our heart really cares about, what our heart really cares about, will affect the quality and quantity of our giving to God. Do we care enough about God to give him our best? Because giving is a matter of the heart, not a matter of money. So far we've seen now God's instruction about giving regarding the tithe going to the Levites, God's assessment of their giving, that they had turned from him, their hearts had turned from him out of fear of not having enough. Now let's look at God's challenge regarding their giving. Well, before we look at what God tells them to do, look, at, look with me at what he says in verse 6. It sort of passes by quickly, but it may all, almost be the foundation of this whole thing. God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. 
he basically tells them that because of their sin against him, and their sin against him was not just in money, just as our sin against God is not just about money, but because of their sin against him, because of their disobedience to his commands, they deserve to be punished. They deserve to be consumed, is the word God uses here. But he has not punished them because of the unchanging nature of his character, his love, mercy, and grace towards them. Therefore, what he has to say next is rooted in that steadfast love for them. God is correcting them here, not out of anger or desire to hurt them, but out of love for them, out of mercy towards them. He is sharing what he knows is best for them. And God's love and mercy toward them then becomes the motivating factor for them to love and obey him. We'll see more about that next week. But we see the seeds of those New Testament realities right here, that our heart of giving comes out of a response to what God has already done for us. After that reminder of his love for them, he gives two basic instructions based on the premise that giving is not a matter of the heart, or giving is a matter of the heart, not a matter of money. The first one, and most importantly, is in verse 7. God says, return to me, and I will return to you. It's interesting that God is correcting them for not being faithful to giving the tithe, as he had commanded. He is pointing out that their lack of wholehearted giving is rooted in a lack of wholehearted love for him. Their lack of wholehearted giving is rooted in a lack of wholehearted love for him. And that lack of wholehearted devotion to him has caused a break in their relationship with him. That's why he says, return to me, and I will return to you. But it's interesting that he doesn't tell them to give more. He invites them to turn their hearts back to him in repentance, confessing and asking forgiveness for loving something else more than him. You see, again, God doesn't need or want their money. He desires their hearts. First of all, everything they have comes from him anyway. It's not that he wants 10% of what they earned. He's allowing them to keep 90% of what he gave them. God knows that if their hearts are turned to him in love and gratitude, giving will be a natural outflow of their love for him. So firstly, God says, return to me. Can you hear the plea? Return to me, return to me, come back, return to me, and I will return to you. Secondly, and I find this astounding, in verse 10, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. Put me to the test. There are other places in the Bible where God says, you should not put me to the test. But here he says, put me to the test. He says, take me at my word and see what happens. Live by faith in the God you can't see rather than the circumstances you can see, even when, maybe especially when, those circumstances are challenging. He says there will be two results in their lives if they put their trust in him and bring the full tithe in regardless of what's going on around them. He says in verse 10, put me to the test 
says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Remember, they were not giving because they were afraid they would not have enough for themselves. God promises that if they give the full tithe out of trust in him, he will be sure that their needs are met. Secondly, connected to that, if you go on in verse 11, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. There were things that were consuming their produce. This was an agricultural society. They were growing grains. They were growing things. And there were things that were consuming those things. So it was reducing their income. It was increasing their expenses. There were more bills to pay than there was money to pay them because of these things, these pests that were devouring their crops. There was not enough money left at the end of the month. Or as I heard it said some time ago, there was too much month left at the end of the money. But God here promises to provide for them in the midst of those difficulties if they will trust him and bring in the whole tithe. He says he will increase their income. I will open the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing. And he will reduce their expenses, their losses. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that they don't have to spend unnecessarily. And Jesus brought this truth forward as well in his own teaching later in Matthew chapter 6 in verses that are familiar to many of us, verses 31 to 33. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that is, unbelievers, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus teaches us not to worry about where we're going to get the basic necessities of life. He teaches us rather to make it our first priority, our first priority, to seek to know and worship God above all else. His kingdom and his righteousness. And then he promises to meet and provide for all of our needs. Now, there's an important caution to be sounded here. God's promises here in Malachi are not teaching us what has been called a prosperity gospel. Perhaps you've heard that term, prosperity gospel. What do we mean by that? Well, there are some who teach that God desires his people to be wealthy in this world. And they use this passage, among others, to say that the way to build wealth in this world is to give to God in faith, and then he will give you even more. Most of the time, the only people who are getting rich with this are those who are preaching it, as people give the money to them. But if you look at verse 10 again, God promises that he will provide what? Until there is no more need. Until there is no more need. God never promises anything beyond our basic needs of food, clothing, and shelter. 
Anything we have beyond those basic needs is extra. He says we are to give then in response to his invitation to us to acknowledge him as the owner and provider of all that we have, not as a recipe to get more. This is not teaching a recipe for us to get more. This is teaching us to trust God to meet our basic needs, even when it doesn't make sense to us. Well, what are the takeaways for us? Don't we have the same struggles that the people of Israel had some 2,400 years ago? Some of us don't give because we worry about not having enough for our own needs. Perhaps we give some, but we worry that if we gave 10% or more, we would not have enough for ourselves. Some of us give, give God our leftovers, if there are any. And if there aren't, oh well. These observations about our giving were included in our annual meeting last fall. 50% of us give regularly. 25% of us give irregularly. And 25% of us don't give at all. Now, please don't worry or be concerned. None of the elders knows what category you're in. We don't know. We don't want to know. That is between you and God. But I am sharing what God knows is true about us with trust that God will use it as a tool to help each of us to look at ourselves and our finances. God can either reassure us that our hearts are in the right place or stir us on to change of some kind in this important area of giving. Because giving is really an act of worship to God. God knows what is best for us, and that best is our wholehearted devotion to him. God knows that what's best for us is our wholehearted devotion to him. He knows how easy it is for us to have our focus on things other than him, whether we are pursuing material security or just worried we won't have enough. God is saying to us in this passage, giving is a matter of the heart, not a matter of money. God doesn't need or want your money, but he deeply desires your heart. And he knows the connection between the two. He knows how easy it is for our hearts to be distracted and led astray from him because of concerns about money. So he instructs us to give in faith, and he promises that in turn he will meet all of our needs. Return to me, and I will return to you. Put me to the test, and I will open the windows of heaven for you and will pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, I realize that for some of us, this could be difficult to hear this morning. But I also realize that God takes this very seriously. And I said, I, as I said earlier, I find this passage very helpful for me in shaping and framing my own understanding towards my relationship with God as, as it affects my relationship to the material things he's given. So I'll give you a little teaser. After spending time talking about tithing this morning, next week we're going to see, as we look at the New Testament, that tithing is not mentioned in God's instructions to the churches in the New Testament. So you have to come back next week to hear that. So come back next week for part two as we take a look in more detail at the New Testament teaching about giving. So circling back to our title, I leave us with this question. Will you care enough about God to give him your very best? Will you care enough about God to give him your very best? 
So I'd like to close this part of our service before we celebrate the Lord's table together. But this is the moment of silent prayer. I'll leave a few moments. I don't know how God is speaking to your heart. I just want to leave you a few moments to meditate before the Lord with the things you've heard, and then I'll close in prayer. Father, I pray for our church family and for us as elders as we wrestle with what you would have us to do to be faithful stewards of the resources you have given to us. We don't know what you're trying to tell us or how, you're, how you are leading us through this budget deficit. So we desperately need and ask for your wisdom. We ask that as individuals and as families and as a church that we that you would help us to be faithful, to love you, and worship you with all that you have given us. We ask that you would lead us into a future as a church where we can reach out into this community rooted in love and gratitude for who you are and what you have done for us. And so I ask that you would have your way in each of our hearts with this. In Jesus' name, amen.